630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. We have had a lot of uh, great memories from you and from uh, the hockey world about Dave Semenko, who passed away at the age of 59 after a uh, brief battle with pancreatic cancer. And uh, you probably have heard the story. Kevin Lowe talked about it earlier today. He only started feeling ill uh, a few weeks ago. So sadly enough, uh, this this happened pretty fast. And I got to say, I'm pretty touched that, that a lot of you have texted in uh, a lot of your stories. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just read this one from uh, Roxanne, who says, this is way too fresh. I just lost my dad to the same dad thing. The good ones are always taken too early. Dave Semenko was my favorite hockey player when I was younger mom told me hockey was only for boys so I used to call myself Dave she'd be a foot away from me calling my name and I wouldn't answer but as soon as she called Dave I would respond that is from Roxanne thanks for sharing that and another texter says back in 1982 just before our graduation my buddy broke his back in a car accident we were up visiting him in the U of A hospital Sammy was visiting sick kids and came walking down the hall. We asked him to stop in and say hi to our buddy. He went in, spent 10 minutes, and was truly a champ talking to a guy who was in a sad place at the time. R.I.P. Dave. That is a text coming in to 630-630. Really appreciate uh, people sharing those. Certainly a guy who, uh, as, as we've you know been reminded, I think, throughout the day, not just remembered for what he did on the ice and the way he could uh, fight and help his teammates, but... The, became a part of uh, the Edmonton community, the Oilers community. I mentioned that uh, he was spent the last season as an Oilers ambassador and, and really enjoyed it, and uh, he's going to be missed. He's going to be missed. And he was once a co-worker of this guy from our sports department, Morley Scott. Morley, thanks for making time for me tonight. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. It's uh you know it's I know it's a tough day for a lot of people because they're they're remembering Dave Semenko and, and so many fans from that era have so many great memories of him. Uh, you had a little bit of a different perspective because you actually got to call him a, a broadcast partner for a couple of years, eh? Yeah, he worked with us the first I think four or five years. I was doing uh, doing Oiler games, uh, and uh, he was just a treat to be around. Uh, I got to know you know everyone knows the the side of Dave Semenko on the ice. Everyone got to see that stare. Everyone got to see, you know, got to see him winning a lot of fights and playing that physical game. But he, I, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to sit beside him for some hockey games, sit with him at practices, and just talk to him. And the thing that I'll always remember about Dave Semenko more than anything else is his sense of humor. I mean, the dry sense of humor he had. He always had the perfect line, the perfect zinger for you. Uh, just, a, just, you know, whatever the case may be, he'd have the line. And, and quite often there was no comeback. He just said, well, I can't top that. Uh, that. That's what I'll remember most about him. Give me a sense of how he, because uh, I remember him doing commentary on the games. Give me a sense of how he uh, embraced that. I mean, it's not, obviously it's not unusual for an ex-player to do it. 
Um, but some guys do struggle with either being critical or being candid about their careers or, or critical of guys they might have used to play with or just of players in general. How, how did you find Dave transitioned into that? I, I think he handled it quite well, and I think you know part of that was the sense of humor I just talked about because he could be critical of a guy sometimes, but he, he, he'd, throw, he'd throw in a line that would make it funny, and you go, ah, it's not that bad after all, I guess. Um, so, yeah, he, I, I really... I really appreciated the way he saw the game, too. He seemed to be pretty smart, uh, just the way he saw the game and he could recognize things. And, and when he kind of went from doing color to kind of the, uh, the, the between periods and, and, and uh, pre-game show stuff, I really enjoyed listening to him talk and to tell stories uh, about guys. And, but listen to him break down the game a little bit more. It's hard to break down the game when you only have 20, 30 seconds between whistles uh, or before the puck drops. But uh, when he had a few minutes to talk hockey, he was he was very informative and, and a very smart hockey man. Did he like to tell stories from his career or fights he was in, or did he, did he prefer to deflect that and and talk about the the Gretzky's and Curry's of the world? Yeah, he didn't. He he would talk about it, but you'd have to kind of you kind of have to pull it out of him a lot. Uh, you really have to dig hard for him. He didn't like to talk about himself that much. From from what I remember from the years I worked with him, he would like to talk about other guys more than anything else. And he always had a story about somebody, which was which was great. Morley Scott joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, thanks for sharing those memories of Dave. And again, people can uh, text 630-630. Uh, Morley, by the way, as we're talking here, the uh, Calgary-Ottawa game has started with, uh, I believe, a long bomb touchdown by Ottawa being called back because of a penalty. So we're a minute into the game, and we've already had <laughs> a, a, a dramatic play uh, so, and, and then negated. So as Ottawa-Calgary tradition dictates, it's tied. Yes, exactly. Well, what? They went to overtime in the regular season last year and played a tie, went to overtime in the Grey Cup, uh, and then they went to overtime last week and, and tied. I, I kind of don't like that they started off with a home-and-home home of a Grey Cup rematch, but as you know, I complain about a lot of random things sometimes. Uh, Morley, we got the Eskimos and Alouettes on tomorrow, 6 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game is going to start at 8. Give me give me a sense of how the Eskimos are, are handling another huge injury to their linebacking core. Greenwood lost in training camp. Sherritt, who's been a star on this team for several seasons, lost in, in, in week one. Uh, I know they try to have the next man up attitude, but do you get a sense of any uh, you know morale? Is this weighing on them a little bit, or how are they dealing with it? Yeah, it's, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one, and and this is a tough one on the field and off the field because everybody everybody likes J.C. Sherrod so much. And uh, last week on the, on the coaching show with Jason Moss, he just talked about what a what a good football player he is, what a good person he is, and what a good teammate he is. And I think that's that's why he's going to be missed so much. Uh, he's a guy, and I was talking to Jason about it today a little bit. He feels that he's a guy who's tailor made to become a coach at some point. He is so good in the meeting rooms and so good watching video, and that's where he's going to be missed while he's not around. And he's going to come back and he's going to work a little bit uh, with the guys after he gets the surgery done and after he gets the rehab going and he feels comfortable being around. And Jason wants him around as much as possible because just his attitude and his approach to everything is so positive for the team. So even if he can't play, usually when guys in the football attitude read as if if a guy is hurt in football, usually you don't see him. Sometimes they send him home. I believe Corey Greenwood's already gone home back to Ontario to rehab. Uh, but J.C. Sherrod is so important to this team that the coach wants him in the coach's room. The coach wants him in the meeting rooms, and he wants him around the players, even though he can't play. And I think that tells you a lot about what J.C. Sherrod adds to this football team. And it tells you a lot about how much they're going to miss him and how tough it is going to be. I was talking to Corey Jones today 
who says he's doing nothing different preparation-wise because the old football adage is you always prepare like you're going to start. You always be ready to start. You never know when you're going to go into a game. Uh, but he said, I, I, this is no different for me. I've played a lot of games. He's never started in the CFL. But then he kind of stopped and he goes, but I do know who I'm replacing, and I know all eyes are going to be on me because he was so important to the Edmonton Eskimos and the way they played. So, this, you know, you replace guys all the time in football, but this one's a little different. Morley Scott joining us on Inside Sports play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Eskimos. It's interesting to me. I mean, we're talking about the line. I want to focus on the defense a little bit because, quite frankly, Morley, I'm quite confident in the offense uh, with how John White does a little bit of everything. You know, Riley has, you know, to me, he just continues to mature even though he's into his 30s. Uh, the old line is is back except for one change, and the receivers are are outstanding. So I don't want to spend too much time on them. I, I'll just let me say one thing, Ray. I, I talked to Mike today for our pregame show tomorrow, and and I kind of brought it up, and this kind of summarizes the offense. And you're right; it's in very good hands right now. I said, did you ever think that this team could lose Darrell Walker, and now you have probably more weapons than you had last year? <laughs> That's at a good time? point, and it's true. Wow. Okay. Well, well, yeah, that's a good point, because Duke Williams, what a find, right? And Zilstra's outstanding, and, and Bowman, I don't think he's going to have only two catches for 13 yards in every game. They're just going to take turns piling up yards week in and week out. Yeah, I, and I, again, I, I don't want to sound like the cocky hometown guy, but I, I've seen Eskimos teams that couldn't move the ball, right, like eight, yeah. eight nine years ago, and this is, this is a far cry from that. Uh, Very different. Defensively, though, D-line, uh, great start, I thought. Uh, is it Daquan Bowers? I mean, he looks like an animal on the D-line. Is that going to help? Because I, I still look at the secondary and saying that's the one position unit uh, I'm a little iffy on. Did I lose you, Morley? I'm still I got you now. Are you still there? Yes, I was asking oh. about the D-line and how they can help, uh, in my mind, a secondary that I'm still a little bit iffy on. Yeah, absolutely right. The secondary is a work in progress. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They still have Forrest Hightower, who's who's in the medical room and on the six-game injured list right now, and they're still trying to learn to play together because there's so many new pieces of the puzzle for the secondary. But you're right, that defensive line, they were monsters last week. Uh, Derek Taylor from TSN did the, did the figures about the pressures that quarterback uh, were under in week one and I think the the league average was 28 percent Mike Riley was pressured on 27 percent of his plays and Jonathan Jennings was under pressure 51 percent of the time that's pressure that's big time pressure the Eskimos got five sacks they got Jennings to hurry a lot uh, they really caused all sorts of problems and I mean I, I think the best example of that is the defensive line was, uh, and the linebackers to a certain extent, were in so quickly on Jonathan Jennings that they took Manny Arsenal out of the game. He really did not have an effect on the game. I think by the time he got downfield and turned around to see where the ball was, the ball was already out because Jennings didn't have time to, to wait for him to get downfield. So I think that's the first time we saw the defense have the impact that they could have this year with the pressure on the quarterback they, they took out uh, they took Arsenal pretty much out of the game I thought on uh, Saturday night last week in Vancouver all right. Well, it's going to be fun tomorrow. Uh, Eight o'clock start, but that's not so bad in the summer because we got tons of daylight. Uh, there are fireworks after the game, and I know a couple of people have texted me about the kids getting free. Actually, if you just go to esks.com/slash/kids-free, uh, it explains how it works. But basically, if you get a if you get an adult ticket, um, you can get a free ticket for your kid. Is the basics of it, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. All the information is at the Eskimos website. Bottom line is uh, they're going to have the tailgate party and stuff going on before and the fireworks after. So come early, stay late, have a good time, and hopefully we'll get ourselves a good football game to watch, too. All right. Morley, I know you're doing some final prep. It's pronounced Durant, by the way. Darian oh, Durant. Darian Durant. I appreciate that. He's new, isn't he? Yeah, 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 sure. He's new to that team, Morley. We'll just leave that's, it at that. That's right. Okay. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Thanks, Reid. Bye-bye. Morley Scott checking in inside Sports on 630 Chat. Love working with that guy. Uh, he had some great memories there of working with Dave Semenko. And he's ready to rock and roll with more for the Eskimos and the Alouettes. I stand by my prediction that the uh, Eskimos win by at least 21. I think they will control the game. Uh, they look like a very good team. I think Calgary's going to be tough. BC's obviously going to be tough. Uh, Saskatchewan, I think, will be better. I don't think they're going to score a lot. Winnipeg is still a wild card to me, uh, but I I don't think they're going to be as good as, as as last year. I just I just don't think they have have enough reliable players. So I got the Eskimos in a heated battle for top three in the West, which I guess you know you want to try to get in that top two and at least get a home game. It's seven eighteen three nothing the Red Blacks with an early lead on the Calgary Stampeders. Still two nothing the Orioles leading the Blue Jays. They are now into the top of the ninth. You know, the big uh, brick tournament starts at West Ed on Monday. We'll tee that up for you a little bit more on uh, Dave Semenko and his passing today. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Texting in, one of the good ones out there. He has offered a prediction. Usually we don't get hardcore into uh, Eskimos predictions until maybe Labor Day, and then certainly for playoff games we'll do it. Uh, But he's throwing one out there, and Jay Bueller is going big. He's thinking like I'm thinking. Jay Bueller, loyal inside sports listener and texter. I think. Eskimos 42, Montreal 15. My goodness, Kellen Kennedy. That's a good old-fashioned whooping. Could happen. Well, it's more likely here's it's more likely going to be a blowout for the Eskimos rather than the Alouettes. I, I would think if the Alouettes win the game. Mm. And maybe I'm being disrespectful of the Alouettes. Yeah, but I'm, I do think we're going through a bit of a... Um, I mean, teams ebb and flow. I, I would categorize the last three seasons... As a peak for the Edmonton Eskimos, mm-hmm. they go twelve and six and lose the West Final. Yep. They go fourteen and four and win the Grey Cup. Okay, mm-hmm. a little bit of a dip last year. Ten and six, mm-hmm. uh, go to the East Final, uh, lose in a game where they really were quite passive in the first half, and they were a bit of an up and down team last year. I mean, yeah. they, had to, they had to rally uh, late in the season. Um, I think tomorrow night it's going to be close. I've, 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 I'll take Eskies by nine. That's it. I think it'll be a. a all right, that's nine fine. Point difference. Yeah. That's fine. I, I just think the Eskimos can come up with they can make a lot of plays offensively. And and here's the thing. This is my this is my personal philosophy about football. I mean, you you got to control the line, right? So what's more important, the O-line or the D-line? Let me, let me put it to you this way. If 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 I was like building a football team from scratch and they said, "Okay, Reed, you can have um, we're going to rate players from one to five. One is the worst and five is the best. 
you can have uh, two five out of five players on your team, and then you got to pick some fours, threes, twos, and ones. Um, I would obviously take a quarterback as my five in the CFL, and well, I'd do it in either side of the border. I mean, of course. So, then, then you can have another five out of five player. I would take a defensive end who could just rush the quarterback and disrupt plays and disrupt passing plays. Because in the CFL, you got to pass, and especially in the CFL more so than the NFL because of the number of downs. If you get a sack, it's a kick. Like, Cavis Reed had this stat when he was coaching. It's like a kick almost. It's around 90% of the time. You get a sack on first down, it's probably second and 15 or longer. You get a sack on second down, and they're going to kick. So you're not you're not you're not giving up a t- like if you give up a sack, or if you if you get a sack, the other team almost never scores a touchdown on that drive, and and you, then you can hurry the quarterback. So I would take obviously star quarterback first, then star defensive end. And I'm not belittling any other positions. I mean, it's complex to to build the football team, but that's where I'm coming from. Uh, Jay Bueller, uh, Jay, you're, you're going to get me here. You're going to have to remind me. He goes, uh, he goes, yes, Reed. I also predicted very close the Grey Cup score, if you recall. You know, you know what? was There was, because it was 26-20 when the Eskimos won the Grey Cup. Jay might have said 26-19, there was, or 28-20. There, mm. were, there were a couple close, uh, really close texts at that time. Now, was this the 2015 Grey Cup? Yeah, yeah, the, the Eskimos yeah, okay. won. I think Jay's right. I think he was only okay. a point or two off on the score. Because we, we, know, we all know from the 2015 Eskimos, the game was going to be close. And now, yeah. here's the thing, Kellen, because that game against the Lions was shades of 2015. And I know we shouldn't, because each season is different, and we got to be careful saying, like, oh, it's like the past. But that game against the BC Lions on Saturday, shades of 2015. Because let's face it, there were games in 2015 where it looked like the Eskimos are not going to pull mm-hmm. this out. Remember the game in Winnipeg? Right. Sean White, 53 yards with no time left. You know, yeah. the, you know, Riley had thrown an interception with a couple minutes left. And that one sort of looked like, oh, the Eskimos blew it, right? I, the, BC I, came back to tie it. They missed the extra point. And then Edmonton makes the big play. So things just went the Eskimos' way. So I don't know. Is this going to be another uh, year where I, every game's coming down to the wire? I think we're reading too much into week one, honestly. I think that essentially the first – it's an old old wives' tale, but the first month of the regular season is just extended exhibition, but for points. Well, so. fair fair point. Teams are still uh, – yeah, I think any league, you're finding your way a little bit early in the season. Okay, yeah. Jay says – this is so bad my memory is – as Jay brings it up, Jay phoned in his 2016 prediction, and he picked Ottawa. That was Jay's claim to there fame. There we go. Yeah. He picked Ottawa. So there you go. So we got to trust Jay. He says it's 42-15 tomorrow. Kellen Kennedy says Eskimos by 9. I'll say Esks by 21. I'll just pick a number. Coming up to the 730 news, 3-0 Ottawa leading Calgary. By the way, think about this. If Ottawa wins tonight... Eskimos win tomorrow. They're already three points up on the Stampeders two weeks into the season. That'd be kind of fun. That'd be kind of fun. A little more on Dave Saminko, and uh, we'll set up the Brick Invitational Hockey Tournament with tournament director Andy Wakeston. All coming up in the final half hour of Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chat. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet.
Thank you, Mr. Riley. Of course, you can always go to 630Ched.com to get the latest, especially on the Oilers and the Eskimos and some tough news in oil country today. Dave Semenko passes away from cancer at the age of 59. We'll have, uh, we had some uh, great stories uh, earlier in the show. Rod Phillips, Charlie Huddy, Jim Paplinski, and filmmaker Adam Scorgi all talking about Semenko and his impact on uh, the Edmonton Oilers and the game of hockey. There is some other Oilers news today pertaining to the roster I should let you know about. Benoit Pouliot has been placed on waivers for the purpose of buying out his contract. You may remember three years ago, Pouliot signed as a free agent with the Oilers, a five-year deal for $20 million, so four per season. The buyout... The way the rules work, uh, the buyout is for a percentage, uh, or the cap hit is for a percentage of what was remaining, and it's spread over twice the remaining number of years. So basically what you need to know is the cap hit on the Pouliot buyout will be $1.33 million for each of the next four years. So I guess I was a little surprised to see this happen today. I thought maybe he'd be on the roster for one more year and then be bought out Um Obviously, it was a situation where his production and usage was not in line with his salary. First year with the Oilers, he did have 19 goals, 34 points in 58 games. Then in his second year, 36 points in 55 games. So the situation with Pouliot where you're saying, well, if he's healthy, uh, he gets 50 points, uh, but he wasn't healthy healthier this past season he got to 67 games but he had only 14 points obviously had his ice time cut he kind of became a fourth line penalty killer type and uh you know he cleaned it up in the second half of the season but had uh, continuing issues with offensive zone slash undisciplined penalties um you know it, it, kind of a frustrating player i mean you definitely saw flashes of it but uh just never consistent again if he would have been on the roster this year I wouldn't have found that objectionable, but uh, we obviously would have been in a depth role. And you got to remember, the GM and the coach talk. So, you know, if it came down to Peter Shirelli saying to Todd McClellan, how often are you really going to use this guy? And the answer was not often, or right now I got him as my 13th or 14th forward. Peter Shirelli decides he would sooner pay for the buyout rather than uh, paying for the player to actually be on the roster. So that is the Oilers roster news today. You can start signing free agents on Saturday in the NHL. I don't expect uh, the Oilers to be going after any big fish. Maybe they'll get some depth for the organization. But, of course, we'll keep you updated here on 630 Chet. Calgary with a touchdown. They missed the extra point. They lead Ottawa 6-3. Three and a half minutes left. First quarter at McMahon Stadium. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Eskimos Alouettes right here on 630 Chet. And I was talking with Morley Scott there about the receiving core being better than last year, potentially, even though they lost star receiver Darrell Walker. Here's Mike Riley. They're all going to be a factor in the game. They understand that. It may not show up on paper, uh, but they'll go out and do their jobs. And I got asked a lot during the offseason about Darrell leaving for good reason. He was a great player for us, uh, had huge production. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't worried about it because I knew what we had waiting in the wings. And that's what this league is all about. You know, you, you get your opportunity, you got to make the most of it. And our guys have done a good job of being ready for that. Uh, every week, presents a different challenge. Montreal's defense is way different than BC's defense. Both are very good defenses, but they do things schematically a lot different. So, you know, for our new guys, it, it may be the first time that they're going to see some of these mm-hmm. things and they got to be able to adapt and, and play on the fly. But uh... I think the defensive side of the ball, a lot bigger question mark for the Eskimos than the offensive side. J.C. Sherritt out for the season. Here's head coach Jason Moss 
on what the team loses with Sherrod gone. Leadership more than anything. I mean, um, you know, I, I always feel like in professional football, guys are physically capable of stepping in for someone and just about anyone. You know, we have confidence in everybody in our locker room that physically if they're called upon and they're given the same opportunities, they'll step up their game. But leadership and experience are the part of the reasons that some guys are starters and over other guys. And JC is a tremendous player, but off the field and on it, mentally he's as good as there is. So that's the stuff that you lose with JC. I mean, he's a tremendous talent physically, but he also mentally, there's no parallel. So we're not going to all of a sudden have a guy step into his shoes and play in our defense and and get that same production mentally. Um, but at the same time, I know over time, and I know with JC in our locker room and helping out, we'll, we'll be on the fast track to getting that back. But that's the biggest loss right now. All right. So the other parts, uh, I mean, first of all, you got uh, Corey Jones coming in for Sherritt. You got Adam Konar already in for Corey Greenwood. Konar had a great game against the Lions. The D-line had a really good game with a lot of pressure. Odell Willis. I enjoyed it. I really did. But, I mean, at the same time, I didn't enjoy it because they're just going to put the whole league on alert. And now everybody's going to come blocking with their whole coaching staff. I mean, it's not going to be no more one-on-ones or nothing like that. So, I mean, it's going to be back to last year where they blocking seven to eight men and it's everybody getting double teamed. So, I mean, it's good and the bad in a way. You, you enjoy it, live in the moment, but just know this week it's not going to be the 51% of his dropbacks. He under pressure, so I'm already prepared for y'all to come in there like, well, what did they do different that BC didn't do? I mean, hey, you, you can't be – you could be great all the time, but it, ain't nobody perfect to just do it over and over and over. So, I mean, as long as we just get back there, as long as we affect the game, whether it's 51% pressure or 11% pressure, as long as we're affecting the game, I'm happy with the D-line performance, along with getting the W. Odell Willis, and uh, watch out for Daquan Bowers. He looked really good for the Eskimos in their season opener. Uh, of course, the sad story today, Dave Semenko leaving us after a brief battle with pancreatic cancer at the age of 59. A, a lot of former teammates and former foes weighing in today. Tim Hunter, now the coach of the Moose Jaw Warriors, played for the Flames in the 80s, was on with Ryan Jesperson earlier today, and uh, he re- was uh, Jespo asked him, any uh, fight with Semenko that really stands out? Probably the first one. Um, you know, uh, we fought in the corral. Um, you know, there was a lot of hype that Calgary was bringing up this tough, young, tough guy. I played against Dave in Wichita, so I knew what he was all about. I saw him. He was on a conditioning assignment, came down, and but we didn't fight there. Um, so I knew what how big he was and everything. And then when we did fight, uh, I thought it did really well. And then... You know, I saw the, the viciousness of, of how things went at the end of the fight. I had done pretty well. I thought I was, you know, proud as a peacock, and I made the mistake of sticking my chin out and uh, saying, how do you like that? And then he, he sucker punched me over the linesman, and then Jim Poplinski had to dive in. So, you know, I, I kind of get a kick these days that, the, you know, there's a code of things you do and do, don't do. There's, there's no code in those days. It was uh, every man for himself, and if... Uh, if uh, you got the best of me, I was going to try to get the best of you in, a, in another way, and that's just the way it was. And, uh, so I learned in a hurry um, that uh, never let your guard down, and uh, 
and Dave was uh, one mean SOB. Some memories from Tim Hunter, who also talked to Jespo about that heated rivalry with the Oilers. In those days, we didn't even talk to each other off the ice. It wasn't until our careers were over that we actually got a conversation off the ice. So, uh, no, it was it was mutual hatred. Uh, we hated them, they hated us, and... Uh, um, yeah, you know, it wasn't until the Players Association got together and did a bunch of things where the players were in the same room at times that guys kind of got to know each other. And, you know, it was unprofessional to talk to another player on the ice during warm-up or anything like that. So times have changed. Um, but, uh, no, uh, I think for sure I respected Dave's, number one, his hockey ability, and number two, how tough he was. And I think he did the same with me. Some great memories there from Tim Hunter on the Ryan Jesperson Show earlier today. Uh, tonight we've talked about Smenko with Rod Phillips, Jim Paplinski, Charlie Huddy, Adam Scorgi. Really appreciate all the texts that have come in from uh, Semenko fans. A lot of you saying how you met him, you ran into him, and just how kind he was, and that's pretty cool. It is 7.43. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. Hey, it's pretty cool that we're rolling into another edition of the Brick Invitational Hockey Tournament. It's been going since 1990. We'll shed some light on this year's event when we get back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Now 6-6 in the second quarter, Ottawa and Calgary, week two of the CFL underway. The Blue Jays lose 2-0 to Baltimore to fall to 37 and uh, 41 on the season. Ubaldo Jimenez, the starting pitcher for the Orioles tonight, goes eight innings, allows only two hits and one walk. He strikes out eight, only needed 98 pitches. As uh, the Jays fall on that one, Jay Happ, the starting pitcher for the Jays, went six and a third, eight hits, two runs against, a couple of strikeouts, a couple of walks, so he takes the uh, loss in this one. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Ched. It is 746. Remember, in this time slot tomorrow, Eskimos football home opener against the Montreal Alouettes. Hey, pretty cool. Don't forget, starting up on Monday at the Ice Palace at West Edmonton Mall, it is the Brick Invitational Hockey Tournament, one of the big events in our city every year, and the tournament director is Andy Wigston. Andy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing uh, very well. Thanks for making time for me tonight. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. So what, it started in 1990, so is this 28 years now already? 28 years. Wow. I'm a lot older. Wow. That, and how long have you been involved in it? 28 years. 20, now what, did you start as the tournament director, or what's your? how did well, it all the begin? Fir- the, the first year, it was, um, it was a three-day tournament, um, just over a weekend, and it was uh, six teams, I think. And... Uh, Bill Comrie and Craig Stiles coached the team. I managed the team, and then Craig and I ran the tournament. It was just a tournament, right? So we were able to put that on. But um, I I started as tournament director in the second year. That's incredible. So you've been rolling along since. So it's, it's, it's solid, but it's also changed. Give me a, because now you got 14 teams. You have teams from all over Canada. You have American teams, right? So do you invite teams? Do teams have to apply to get in? Do you have playdowns? Like, tell people how it works. Well, it's it's a little bit of both, Reed. Um, <clears throat> we call it the Invitational because that's what it is. You have to be invited to play here. But I've got a waiting list um, of teams from some of the places that we have teams right now. So they're going to have to wait till that team is out 
I've also got a wait on my waiting list. I've got a team from Alaska, a team from Nova Scotia, a team from Wisconsin, and um, they're all waiting to get in as well. So there's um, we have to wait till somebody either drops out um, and uh, or, or we decide they're not, they're not competitive. And up until now, it's uh, that hasn't been an issue. So uh, it's been we added Pennsylvania um, three years ago. This is the, this is their fourth year, so they're the newest team. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. And when you commit to this, you have to commit to three years in a row of bringing a ten-year-old competitive team. And then each three years, we review your progress in the last three years. And if you're competitive, then we let, we give you another invitation for three more years. Okay, so I mean, you're hoping teams obviously stick around for a long time. Which, which absolutely, is cool. absolutely. Let let me throw this one at you. Has the quality of the American teams changed? Uh, noticeably since it started in the early 90s? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, I remember when we started with, uh, in the 90s, we had um, uh, a team from <clears throat> Detroit called the Honey Baked Team, and it was owned by the guy who owned Honey Baked Hams, and it was just a, it was a club, it wasn't even a club team, it was a, a team, a, a summer team that they put together every year. And now we got the Detroit Red Wings, which is <clears throat> owned and operated by the Detroit Red Wings, and the caliber has gone up considerably and the same was with boston i mean the boston selects were owned by a guy who owns a dry cleaning shop and he came here for two or three years and then just got bigger and bigger and bigger and now that the junior bruins and so it looks like we're like the the teams have really found good sponsorship and they've also um because of because of the brick they've also started programs now there's another program called the brick series which runs for the year before ours and the year after ours so these teams can stay together three consecutive years. Okay. Andy Wigston, Tournament Director for the Brick Invitational, joining us on Inside Sports. It all starts up uh, Monday, goes July 3rd to 9th at the Mayfield Toyota Ice Palace in West Edmonton Mall. Uh, Andy, tell me a little bit about Team Brick. Uh, how, what's the whole process of putting this team together? Well, we did something different this year. We've um, we, we've always had uh, sort of, uh, we've always given the, the, the team to an organization like uh, prior to this, Steve Serdachny's organization ran it and Prior to that, we had Eric Morissette's group run it, and uh, we just felt that we needed something new and different. We and so this year we went out and we spent some serious time in September, Craig and I, and we had Billy Moore's and um, and uh, uh, Bill Connaughton and Serge Lajoie. We put together a committee and we started interviewing people who who we thought would be able to do a good job on this, and we ended up with um, Jason Nicolette and his. Spartan group uh, out of Edmonton and Calgary as the management group, and a young guy named um, Umberto Ferrello and his group from St. Edmunds coaching it. And it has just been absolutely phenomenal. The team has been picked from all over Alberta, and we were we ran two camps in January, one north, one south. And then um, in, in in middle of March, they are they ran a camp in um, in um, Red Deer picked the final 20 and started up in May. So a little bit different where mm-hmm. the other groups have always started sort of around Christmas. This group didn't start until actually in May. And so if they peak, they're going to peak sort of, we're hoping next week, but um, <laughs> they're looking really, really good. They went to Winnipeg and uh, the Winnipeg tournament. There was a bunch of the brick teams there. They went six and one and uh, had a really good outing there. So they're, they're, uh, they're ready. They really are. It's a, it's a really interesting team. 
great young kids on it. I think it'll be great. Yeah. Oh, I, I, and I love that you, you went through how it was put together. And you're right, because that is different from last year, because I asked that, that same question last year. Yeah. So it has changed a little bit, which is cool. Well, and the other thing, too, Reed, is the feedback we've been getting for a number of years is these kids that want to play on this don't really want to miss playing with their their spring teams, right? They, so this way they could play for their spring team, and when their spring team was over, they could come to us. And um, we just got uh, just a, a lot better caliber and a, and a lot, uh, like I say, they're from all over Edmonton. I think there's two Edmonton kids on it. I mean, all over Alberta. Right. I think there's two Edmonton kids on it. And we, I don't think we've ever had a kid from Edison Hat, and we've got one this year. So it's it's kind of interesting. It's uh, it's a really interesting team. I think um, I think the people in Edmonton are going to really love this team. Yeah, but it's fun to watch. I got I got to throw I got to throw this one though at you, Andy, because I I, I know you're going to have a response because I know you deal with it, and you know sometimes we'll talk minor hockey on this show or player development. Because I, I and I, you know it, and I know it. There are people listening to this interview, rolling their eyes and thinking, "Why do we need a hockey tournament in July?" Uh, so, how do yeah. you? How, then the whole year-round hockey thing has become a bit of a hot button topic. I just, you know, I, I, I'm generally interested in your take on it. Well, actually, um, I was always against summer hockey. I mean, all my kids, if they played hockey in the winter, they played ball or soccer or something in the summer. Um, guys like Wayne Gretzky and. And uh, and Sidney Crosby never played all year round, you know. The, the, and so we, I was always against it. But um, the spring hockey program is what it is. It's it's in, everybody's involved in that. This is just a culmination of that. Like spring hockey's finished now. So basically, this tournament is the last tournament of the year. And um, we originally had it in August. We moved it up to July because it's, it's the closest we can get to getting the kids, like we've got seven U.S. teams and seven Canadian teams, we've got to wait till they're out of school to have them travel here and spend a week here. So, um, yeah, I, I, my, I, I still, I don't know if I'm, I'm a, I mean, if I, as a parent, I don't know if I would ever want my kids to play 24, or 12 months a year, uh, play hockey 12 months a year, because I think the other sports are such good sports. But uh, for us, it's really worked out, and uh, we haven't really had an issue with it. We don't get the question very often. Um, you know, we, we really don't. Everybody comes and enjoys themselves, and uh, we bring in a thousand people into the city who have never seen this city before, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Well, and I I had to ask because I know if I didn't ask, people would be like, well, why didn't you ask? <laughs> but, 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 you, but you are saying, like, these kids, this is the culmination. This is not, oh, now they're playing summer hockey until October and then starting up again. I mean, they yeah, have no, a, no, this a, is it. Most yeah. of these guys, as soon as they're done here, they're done for the season. Right, and, and I, um, that's, they have the rest of their summer off. Yeah, that's an important point to remember. Okay, so uh, it so it starts Monday, goes until uh, next. next Sunday, right? No. Yep. Yes. So the, <clears throat> the round robin games go Monday to Friday. Okay. They start at seven thirty in the morning, and their last game goes at about uh, eight o'clock at night. And then on Saturday morning, we have the quarterfinals. Saturday afternoon, the semifinals, and the final on Sunday is at uh, at twelve thirty. And uh, so that, that's the schedule for the week. On uh, Sunday morning, if you really want to watch something that's a lot of fun, the Golden Bears Hockey Club comes out and they run a skills competition for, for the 12 teams that are not in the final. And it is just an absolute two-hour hoot. So grab a cup of coffee and stand around the rink and watch these kids compete. It's a lot of fun. Well, that's the thing. If you're in the mall, you just walk up and watch. You don't have yep. to. Right. And are, and are you streaming all the games on the web now? Yep, all the games are streamed live for free, uh, and then they're on pay-per-view an hour afterwards. So, uh, yeah, so if you want to watch it live, 
uh, they're streamed. Uh, we actually, there's a couple of the restaurants down on Bourbon Street that are streaming them for their oh, for their clientele, which I think is pretty cool. That's incredible. And, uh, yeah, so they, they were streaming them, and um, we have an app, the Brick Hockey app. So if you want to, if you get that app, it's free, and you can see uh, the schedules on it. All the players are, or all the the teams are listed on it. You can see everything you need to know, see about it. Okay. Well, Andy, thanks for making time for me. Uh, I, I, I love this tournament. I love getting stories out of it, and, and I'll, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye out next week and hopefully maybe get a guest or two as well. And 160 players who have played in the Brick Invitational uh, have eventually made it to the NHL. So you, I can, That's right. There will be future NHLers in this tournament. We can't tell you who they're going to be necessarily, no. but no, they that, will be we, there. At least, at least, well, actually, in this year's draft, I mean, when you take out the Europeans, I mean, that, in the first round, that cut it down to half. And then I think we had seven in that half. So, yeah, it's, uh, we figure there'll be probably, there'll probably be eight or nine kids drafted out of this group. Um, and probably two or three will play in the NHL. Right? It's exciting to watch. That's, but that's not for 10 years yet. Yeah, so. exactly. Andy, I know you're so busy, and it all starts up on Monday, but thanks for coming on Inside Sports tonight. Not a problem. Anytime. That is Andy Wakeston checking in. Uh, man, that's such a great story, and he's been involved in the Brick Invitational since uh, since it started in 1991. So, yeah, we'll talk about that more next week on uh, Inside Sports. Tomorrow, don't forget, 6 o'clock countdown to kickoff here on 630 Chad, 8 o'clock kickoff. Eskimos Alouettes Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium that's going to be a good one 630Ched.com for more on Dave Semenko who unfortunately left us today at the age of 59 14-6 Calgary leading Ottawa halfway through the second quarter thanks to Dave Campbell the producer of the show and the studio producer this evening is Kellen Kennedy so we got football tomorrow it'll be a best of show on the holiday Monday those are always fun I'll be back with the next live show on Tuesday night my name is Reed Wilkins thanks to everybody who texted it in tonight. Always incredible to hear from you guys. Have a great Canada Day long weekend. We are blessed to live in this country. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.